Welcome to the Practice Advantage Podcast. I'm Dr. Justin Manning, Chief Member Experience Officer at HEA PECA, and here on the podcast, I interview experts from within and outside the eye care industry on the business management topics and advice that matter most to you, your practice, your patients, and your success. Let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of the Practice Advantage Podcast. The great resignation has affected us all. Throughout 2021, more than 47 million people quit their jobs. We hear here at the Practice Advantage from our members time and time again how much they're struggling to keep good people. To help us today, I'm joined by Tom O'Neill, President and CEO of Cognivue, a cognitive screening and device company supporting the growth and expansion of independent ECPs into the cognitive care space. Thomas held numerous leadership positions within and outside the eye care industry, most notably with Synergize, Bausch and Lam, and now Cognivue. Tom, welcome to the Practice Advantage podcast, and thank you for joining us. Hey, Dr. Manning, thank you. I'm, I'm looking forward to having a discussion. Tom, I hear all the time from our listeners how challenging it is to find good people, retain good people, and compete from a wage and salary standpoint. Before we dive into strategies for addressing the great resignation, why is talking about people so important for the success of a small business? It's it, So first off, it's a great question. It's a great point to start the discussion or to start the conversation with. Because in my experience, and, and whether it was when I was running huge, uh, big businesses, um, or in my my startup that I, that I'm running now, um, it is all about the people. And in in my mind, if you go to our website, you actually look at how we operate as an organization. We put it up there, but we think about this every day. And in my perspective, is if you take care of your people, they will in turn take care of your customers or your patients, right? As we're talking about the ECP. So I think you, you take care of your folks. I think they will take care of your patients. I think there's so many great examples of that in, in bigger industry corporations that put an emphasis on people first and the people within their business first. And those are the companies that have really successful patient or, or customer experiences. And it is, it's such a critical point. And you and I were talking before we we hit record that the, the difference that happens within a business when mm -hmm. you start seeing people as your as your greatest asset and greatest investment in your business versus your biggest expense. I, you know, I, I tell you just if I can respond to that, because I think what it does is it changes the mindset. When you talk about his expense, the immediate thought is let's go to salary and compensation. And I think it's so much more than salary and compensation, but that's where, that's where somebody who's just thinking of it as a PL and as an expense line versus what's the value that individual could bring. Because once you do have that conversation, it becomes a bigger discussion of how you engage them, whether it's, in hiring, recruiting, or retention. You just mentioned how you engage them. And, and I think we oftentimes, we, we throw around employee engagement as this term, but it's not well defined. How do you define employee engagement within your history, within, within Cognivue, and how do you track that? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I I think of employee engagement is is really giving the employees really a voice within the organization and being heard, but also it's both ways, right? So are they hearing from the leadership, right, about what your goals and objectives are, right? Do they understand how their role aligns with those goals and objectives? And uh, a friend of mine, Barry Conchi, he uh, he is somebody that that's built his entire business on this. It's on leadership development, but it's also um, employee engagement, and and it really does make a huge difference. You can start to get a you can get a handle on whether it's a big business or a small business. There's a there's a really good way to interpret um, how things are going and how your employees are engaged in that business if they understand what their role is, and and then how their role impacts the business. Um, if they feel like they're just a number or if they feel like they're an expense item or expense line, it's it's just not going to go well, right? That conversation is not going to go well. I love how you define employee engagement because I think oftentimes we get hung up on, oh, well, it, you know, it, employee engagement is parties or, you know, little gifts here or there or, you know, a nice dinner once a month. And that's and I've heard this said before. Oh, that's all you have to do. You know, and people will be happy. That is nowhere close to what you said about employee yeah. engagement. It's how I, I want to restate this so our, our listeners really hear it is it's about the connection of the employee to the mission of the business and how they see their role in achieving that that vision and that mission that you set out and as well hearing back hearing being heard but also hearing from the leadership as well and and again it's that that connection i i love it yeah i think for for me it then translated and it cascades down right so you know employee engagement to me it starts with we talked just we just mentioned it's communication right so what type of conversations are you having and and i do think that there's there's times challenges where and this is just my approach is I'm going to hit, I'm going to hit a difficult issue head on. I'm not going to sit back and, and wait for it to be figured out by the, the, the team, right? Cause a lot of times in my experience is if you don't regularly communicate with your organization, whether it's an all call or through one-on-ones or skip level meetings, what happens is there's this void of information. And when you leave a void, Guess what human nature is? Human nature generally puts something that's either negative or controversial or it, it's negative energy versus, which, by the way, may not have any truth to it or generally doesn't. But it's where we go, right, Without with, with the lack of information, the lack of communication, we kind of fill it with other things. So so I do think that that, again, I we use things like all calls, which would be an all, now would be an all call Zoom meeting. We do one-on-one meetings. We do skip levels. So, you know, think about skip levels being what you know two levels up. So, having meetings with, you know, somebody who's your boss's boss, right, and giving them access and visibility to what's going on, and having that opportunity to to have that conversation with them. I love it. You you clearly from from a standpoint with Cognivu, despite the pandemic, despite the great resignation, you've been successfully scaling the company and adding both significant partnerships and numerous employees to your ranks. And, and perhaps you've already answered this question, but how have you managed to do it and what lessons have you learned along the way? Yeah, so so we have, we've been going through this expansion 
um, you know, over the last three or four months. And, and we've more than uh, tripled our sales, our direct sales force. And we did it in this time when it's very difficult. And by the way, we're a startup. We're a small startup. So we're not able to pay the money that the big corporations can pay. So I know we're not going to win on, on comp alone, right? So we spend a lot of time talking about our, our mission. We spend a lot of time talking about how we operate as a company. And that's where I told you on our website, where, where it's things like integrity and trust, it's customer focus, it's people matter, it's explosive growth, spend it like it's your own money, celebrate and appreciate ownership and accountability, communication. Those are things that that matter. And, you know, you mentioned the great resignation that hit two significant groups, right? That hit the baby boomers who were still working. And then they said, you know what, I just want to deal with this anymore. I'm going to I'm just going to retire huge percent of the population that impacts all of us and, and many of the ECPs out there, right? And then the other part of the population, I think that really, what from what I've read is those working moms, those those working moms that were trying to do it both. And, and now they're just like, hey, listen, I'm going to find something I can do at home um, and be able to be there for my kids. Um, but I'm not going to go do the grind and do all this stuff and not get the benefit of it, right? You know, or what I perceived was the benefit before. I think for us, it really is making sure that every one of those people that come in are the right fit for us. Um, and and it's it's as much about the skills and competencies as they have that they have as it is the fit, right? You're you're building an organization, you're building a culture. That's and that, to be really clear, that does not mean everybody is a yes person. That is not what we want. We want somebody who's going to challenge the status quo. We want the collective IQ. But you have to drive that through the interview process to understand who you're getting. I think the listen, comp is always going to have some element to it. It's certainly we don't work. We're we're not nonprofits, right? We we all work. We all have um, you know bills we got to pay. Um, so we we are generally in a fifty to seventy five percentile uh, for the role. Um, but then what we do do, which I think is an important element here, is we give equity to every single person in the organization. They all have some level of equity So because I want them to feel like owners. I don't want them to feel like employees. And so I think there's there's two ways to do that. You either do it via equity, like we do with stock options. Um, and a lot of times, you know, small businesses don't have that capability, but you can revenue share and you can do something that says, hey, we put these financial targets out there. If we win, you win and make them feel like they're part of it versus um, just, a, again, just an employee. There's so much within that that we we can unpack and certainly spend more than the, the time we have for for today's for today's podcast. But I, I want to take something that you said that that is is so critical to success and and I think a little different than how we we may find ourselves when it comes to hiring people and bringing new people in. And yes, you look for skills, but you look for the right fit. And that fit, as you said, is not somebody who's going to come in and say yes. It's probably the opposite. You want you want them to fit first and foremost within all those core values that you listed. But you want somebody who's going to challenge the status quo, who's going to help push and drive the business forward. Give our listeners some tips of how you, in, in an interview, in a job description, maybe just in a, the sense of the psychology of it, how you identify somebody 
in the process of who's going to be a good fit or not, especially again, for our, our independent ECPs? Yeah. So it's, it's a great question. One of the things that we, there's a few things we do. One of them is we just ask, we just, we just put it out there and say, listen, it's a startup. We don't have all the answers yet. You're going to come in. If you're used to a very structured environment, you know, and, and you need very structured direction, um, this might not be the place for you, right? If you're open to the ambiguity of a startup and knowing that we're, you know, we're building the car while we're driving it, then, then you, you know, you're probably the, the right fit for us. I think you also have to determine in that interview process, what is the role each interviewer has in doing that? And I'll give you the example. So we have a, a a frontline person that does the recruiting and screens the candidates, make sure that they just have the, 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 the relevant skills and competencies, right? We also let that person also know right up front what our comp range is, compensation range is, because we don't want to waste their time or our time, right? We want to hit that up front and make sure they understand. But then we also tell them that there's the equity component, right? So they know that there's there's a bigger, you know, bigger driver here in the discussion. Once they get through that process, then they go into the functional interviews with whoever it might be, my VP of sales, my head of R&D, uh, my head of finance, whatever the role might be. And they're getting more into the, the culture, but also into the job. What does the job look like on a day in and day out basis? And then ultimately, they're going to pick whoever the one or two people are for the for the role, and they're going to send them to me. And I'm going to spend some time with them, getting them fired up. And I'm not interviewing, just to be clear, I'm not interviewing. What I'm doing is I'm selling them on our vision, on our culture, and what's coming, right? So it's it's kind of a package deal. So we, we make sure that we move them through the process. And, and that doesn't, listen, think about it in a small ECP setting office. It can just be the, the, the doc um, in their, their uh, office manager, right? It just can be two people, but what role do each one of you play in that process? And, and what are you trying to make sure that you're looking for, that, that what you're looking for, you're getting in that, in that prospective um, employee? That's great stuff right there. And certainly significant tips for our ECP listeners or of, of their own process and how to translate that to, to their interview process, to their job search process. Because you said that fit is so critical. I, I, I worked in a practice that they hired fast and they fired fast. And I, I think that's the, the first part of that. I think there's a problem in, in essence, with that, that philosophy, they didn't do their due diligence ahead of time. And before they really got to knowing whether this person was a good fit or not, if, if something didn't go right, they're, they're gone, which I think there's great value in firing fast when you have the wrong people in the role. But there's a lot of investment in training. There's a lot of investment in the process that starts over the minute you have to kick somebody out. So the hiring slow is just so, so key. Yeah. I, so I'm going to turn a little bit on its head just from my own perspective. Yeah. I actually think somebody's not the right fit. You got to, you got to move on that. But I would say fail fast, learn fast. Right. So I actually think just because somebody fails, I don't see that as a failure that that's necessarily worth terminating. Cause I'm like, make mistakes all you want. If you're leaning in and you're, you're driving it. If, if you're making the same mistakes over and over again, then we have, we have a different conversation. 
I also, you know, one of the other things that it's a challenge, right? So I'm, I'm right in between. I'm, I'm considered a Gen Xer, but I'm not far off the boomer, right? And, and I think most of the time we're the managers or the heads of our companies, right? And, and the difficulty there is we grew up in a world where, think about this from how they not only hire people, but retain them is we hire these folks that are millennials or Gen Z. Millennials and Gen Z are used to getting feedback real time, social media, right? They get likes, they get retweets, they get all this, like they get real time feedback, right? When they're at school, they're getting, they can go online and see their, their, Great, anytime they want, right? They can they can get everything all the time. Then we bring them into our organizations and we go, okay, we're going to sit you at this desk or in this cube and we're going to tell you about once a year, maybe twice a year, how you're doing, right? It's a complete disconnect for who we're trying to bring in. So I would challenge the, the listeners and these, these ECPs to think about how do you give feedback, good and bad, right? But how do you give feedback, constructive, developmental, sometimes really positive feedback? How do you do it, right? In a way that gives that person something. Remember how they how they are hardwired, how they were brought up. You can't take them from that and then go, all right, we understand that's how you've grown up for the last, you know, 20 years, but we're going to put you into this, what then feels like a stodgy, old practice or old business environment as a millennial i can relate and, and agree yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of value in that and uh, that feedback is is important to people people want to know how they're doing they want a scoreboard they want uh, they want to understand what's working but they also want to understand and this is where listeners can't be afraid to do it they also want to understand what's not working and they want to know how to do it better or what direction they need to go to improve and that creates a lot of stickiness and a lot of value on the part of the employee and the team member and by the way it doesn't have to be formal right it can be just stopping by their cube and or stopping by their 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 desk and and making a comment and I have a, you know, I've learned over the years, right? I have many mentors that I that I learn from and lean on is, is, you know, for every one constructive criticism, constructive feedback, give 10 positive comments, right? And and think about that, that because that's a good relation of of what it how it should be. And sometimes that's tough, right? But but I'll tell you, it'll create a different atmosphere within the organization. And that's actually backed up by science. They, they've actually found that ideal ratio of positive to constructive feedback. And it is so, so critical. Now, our, our listeners are going, okay, yeah, this is all well and good. And yes, I got some work to do and I can improve upon these things. But we also can't overlook the reality of the compensation and benefits, especially in today's day and age. Inflation's hovering at roughly 7%. Practice owners are struggling to pay the same wages as fast food restaurants in town. What do our listeners need to consider when it comes to the wages they pay their employees? And why is paying well so important? Yeah, so so I think, again, I'll give you my perspective and then I'll kind of pull it all together is, I think it is, Income is important. It's not a nonprofit, right? And I think we want to be in that 50 to 75, 75th percentile. Um, 
because people need to be able to pay their bills. If not, they can go somewhere else. But it, by thinking of it just in compensation by itself, I think we're missing something. It, it can be the benefits too, right? So do you give really interesting benefits like uh, not only strong maternity, but paternity leave? Something we changed here at Cognivu last year is um, we put in uh, some time off if somebody loses a baby during pregnancy, right? And and so trying to do some things that are great, maybe different, don't cost you a lot, but really support people during their most important times of need. I've I've done a lot of um, you know just reading up on different organizations. I think Bank of America does some amazing work to support their employees. Johnson and Johnson, some amazing work to support their employees. The reason why I'm pivoting a little bit just off the salary, I think when you just put it on the salary, you miss those bigger things of employee engagement, work-life balance, communication, and and then you've tied it all into a bow with the income. And I think it's got to be a bigger, bigger conversation, Dr. Manning. I think if you go into it with just, can we pay this person the right way or, or competitively, I think you got to be competitive, but it may be it may be opportunistic to say, hey, I'm going to be I'm not going to pay you as much, but look at what you're going to get while you're here. And and some of that process might be, hey, I don't expect you to just trust who I am or the practice I'm running. Why don't we have you come in and shadow the team for a day and and watch what we do, see how we do it, see how much our, pa- our patients love us, how much we love our patients, how much we enjoy what we're doing here. And, and they start to feel what that culture looks like. So I'm not discounting comp. I, again, I hope that doesn't come across that way. I think you got to be competitive. Um, but in the same respect, I think it can't be that by itself. In essence, it's it's salary and it's understanding people and understanding your employees, new hires and existing team members, what they need and what they want and providing it. So yes, we can't sit, we can't have the conversation without talking salary, but it isn't just salary at the same time. So it really is a both and. And it doesn't, it, it is, and it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't need to pay consultants to come in. I mean, things like employee engagement can be super simple and easy to execute. Things like work-life balance, super easy and simple to execute. Not necessarily easy to schedule, but but easier to, to manage and execute. Communication is probably the easiest of all of it. Um, and, and then how do you engage them if it's not in salary, some kind of revenue share at the end of the year that they get something, you know, for their hard work and for their efforts that not only get them to that competitive level, but well beyond that, if if the whole organization performs beyond what your business plan objective is for that year. I love it. Tom, can't thank you enough for sharing your expertise and wisdom with our listeners. Here on the Practice Advantage podcast, we believe that leaders are readers. What are you currently reading? So, you know, the one of the books that, um, and he's actually, the, the author is a good friend of mine, his name is Joth Ricky, um, and it's called The System. And it's it's as much of a book as it is a training program um, and a process, if you will. Um, it, it, again, it's, it's called The System. It's from Joth Ricky, R-I-C-C-I. Um, I think, uh, you know, if, if you're... Uh, if your listeners have interest, I think it'd be very insightful. Again, it's a super easy read, but it, it really is more of a, a system and a training process they can use. Perfect. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Tom, thanks again.
If you've enjoyed the Practice Advantage podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. And if you want to take your practice to the next level for the sake of your patients, your team, your community, and your bottom line, give us a call 1-800-959-2020, option three. See you next time.